The air date was May 7th, 1990, but the star date was 43872.2. We're boldly recapping every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. This is The Most Toys. That was the uh, Picard Epic Maneuver Remix, Amazing. full version by um, Notre Dame. Shout out. So my name is Byron Hussey, and I'm joined today by Jan van den Hemmel, who you may know as Gazora, or the Jan from the famous Jandrew Edits, the Star Trek The Next Generation uh, edit videos on YouTube. Uh, he's obviously a very famous guy. Infamous, even. This is the pilot episode of a yet-to-be-named uh, Star Trek recapping podcast, one of probably hundreds, but this one is going to be probably the best, the best one. Uh, For sure. You can, you can verify Trek. that, right? Talking or, Trek, or I'm, it sounds like Talking that. Tea. That's probably taken, but I'm going <laughs> really? to write it down. Talking Tea. Talking Tea. Yeah, something with... with could be really good like mm-hmm. Earl Grey Matters or something it's like a pun because you got Grey Matter 50 Shades of Earl Grey <laughs> <laughs> 50 Shades of Earl Grey is a good one too I'm gonna type that in it's probably already taken no actually uh, yeah there's a there's already a, a podcast called Earl Grey sorry guys okay we're, we're not gonna take that uh, <laughs> we'll think of something we'll, we'll have a name by the next episode we're gonna be recording these in order, but we, we're starting out of sequence just as a test. So Jan selected this 22nd episode from season three called The Most Toys. I have a theory about this, um, about this episode, something that I didn't touch on, but it could have been a subplot. Okay. It's, uh, this is the first time that the wharf finally gets to sit down. Poor guy is always uh, standing there behind Picard. That's, that's He's the true. only one who has to stand. And... That's true. Kind of like a mall security guard. If this were a murder mystery, he's the only one who really has a motive. He finally gets to sit down in a nice, uh, comfy seat. Right. So he uh, so he, he just conspired in contact with that guy and with Fajo. with Fajo, Kiva's Fajo, to mm-hmm. uh, get the chair. That that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think they just, uh, Worf and Fajo just got on the space internet and uh, started uh, communicating about this. Well, it's interesting because we never really find out how Fajo knows about Data. I, I yes. guess just by, by um, reputation, but uh, they, mm, they never really Maybe Data's just really famous. That's possible. He must be. So this episode has sort of an interesting backstory. I don't know if you have heard it before. Yeah, the actor uh, was replaced because he was suicidal and- Actually, yes. in fact, kill himself. Yes, David Rappaport. Did you read about the the plan the director had about building the sets really small? Because it's uh, David Rappaport was a little person, right? Yes. So the director wanted to build little sets so that all the other people would have to crouch. Yes. And I... he, w- he would be the only one because he's really selfish. He, who can just walk around freely. Yeah, and I, I think that would have been really interesting if they had done that. 
I think he also said, uh, geez, it's a good thing that we didn't build these sets <laughs> after they had to uh, replace them. That but, would have been um, very strange. It like, would have been. Why are all these sets so small? <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you can't really account for like alien culture. So maybe it's like a sign mm. of uh, yeah. decadence in, in Fajo's culture where, you know, I've got the smallest ship in the, in the quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody crouches yeah. lower than can keep his Fajo. I think, I think they even shot some stuff. Right. With Rappaport? I th yeah, they, I think they did. Um, I wonder if that... Uh, a few days of filming were completed, it says on the Memory Alpha. It's a little, bit, uh, a little bit like Back to the Future. Where they, uh, with filmed Eric everything Stoltz. with one actor and then just uh, fired him. Shot everything over again. <laughs> I heard that uh, he is still in that movie for, uh, for a split second. But it's, uh, oh, really? The actor who plays uh, Biff Tannen yeah. claims that the scene in which uh, Marty punches him in the face in the diner that's actually uh, Eric Stoltz's fist huh. because he he does, doesn't recall Marty shooting that scene or I mean <laughs> Marty <laughs> Marty Mar Marty, uh, Marty 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 Parkinson's I think is <laughs> his name um, just getting back to the episode here uh, D David Rappaport is best known for his role as the bandit leader Randall in Time Bandits by the way for, for those who don't know, I could not pin down actually the, the the official air date of this episode. I read Wikipedia puts it on May fifth, nineteen ninety. Uh, Memory Alpha has it at May seventh. Yeah. And uh, Chrissy's transcripts also has it at May seventh. So I have a question for you about yes. this episode. You know the scene where he throws acid on Data's uh, outfit so that it dissolves. I do. He generates that from uh, one of those food generators, right? Yeah. And then he walks, he walks out the door with the glass in his hand. What mm -hmm. does he do with the glass? What did they do with all those glasses? Like when Picard generates a cup of tea, he generates the entire cup. Yeah, that's Where true. Where are all those cups going? Does Picard just have a drawer with a lot of cups in it? Or what I happens? Do they, do they throw it in when giant incinerators are going to be recycled? Or do you think they put it back or do they just have drawers that are like a trash can? I mean, they can just jettison it into space. Whatever I mean, you throw. <laughs> space is so big, you can just dump dump so, all of your... Uh, there are a lot of teacups floating around <laughs> in the wake like, of the Enterprise. Yeah, this like vapor trail of teacups. So, that's how they can find their way back, just yeah. follow the teacups. It was 100 denkers of Fenoplac. That's what he replicated. Right. 100 dankers of Fenoplac. It was dangerous. It only melts. He says it will uniform. dissolve his uniform in seconds, and then he stands there for 10 more seconds, <laughs> and it just sort of stops doing what it's doing. Yeah. The, the, other, the other thing about that scene is like, he's like, I would love for you to walk around nude if not for your Starfleet modesty. And he's like, well, if he wants him to walk around nude, why can't he? He could just make him walk around nude. I mean, he's already <laughs> breaking like eight Starfleet laws. Like, why not? Yeah. Why, why does he obey he's the modesty one rule? Regulation. Like, kidnapping, murder, all right, but I'm not breaking regulation about clothing. Yeah, and it wasn't That's even really a re regulation. It was more of like a social norms thing. Like, oh, I'm yeah. sure you're programmed with that stupid Starfleet modesty. Uh, a couple more fun facts uh, Saul Rubinek course replaced mm -hmm. David Rappaport as Kiva's father after his uh, suicide attempt yeah he's he's I think he was a good get um, yeah better than most uh, season three guest stars well in my opinion 
the story was that he was just friends with the um, mm-hmm. the director, and he was his, yeah. he happened to be in town, and he wanted to visit the set, and he was like, "How how about you be in the episode?" He was in the the uh, television show Frasier, um, mm-hmm. who, which also starred Kelsey Grammer, who, as you may recall, uh, played Captain Morgan Bateson of the USS Bozeman, which was uh, caught in a time loop at the end of uh, season five Thanks. episode Cause and Effect. Yeah. Thought you might like mm-hmm. that little connection there. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Another very brief observation here: the uh, the title of the episode comes from a, a quote that was popular in the '80s. Mm-hmm. The flamboyant millionaire Malcolm Forbes: "He who dies with the most toys wins." So basically, that it's the the episode is really kind of like a inspired by '80s decadence. Just Gre- like everything is from good. the '80s, like Back to the Future, what we were talking about, is also about like, celebrating possessions of material wealth we had treatise on the on the uh the, the virtues of capitalism so to bring us into the episode here's the captain's log captain's log starnate 43872.2 in order to neutralize a sudden contamination of the water supply at the federation colony on beta agni 2 we are procuring 108 kilos of hytritium from the zabalian trader kivas fajo because pure hytritium is too unstable for our transporters, Lieutenant Commander Data has been shuttling the material to the Enterprise. So, we kind of set the scene here. Basically, there's a, uh, a nondescript disaster on the uh, mm-hmm. Federation colony, and they need this very specific substance to solve the problem. And they can't transport it because it's unstable, and yet they send the, their arguably most valuable crew member just to kind of schlep it back and forth, right? Yep, and his mini uh, mini shuttle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very funny. Cool. Fiat, uh, Fiat shuttle. So is this um, is this something that happens a lot in in mm-hmm. TNG with Data kind mm-hmm. of doing menial sort of dangerous tasks that are kind of way beneath his uh, his position? Because this yeah, is they could frankly does, they could have yeah. just sent an unmanned mm-hmm. uh, ship a to drone. collect this stuff. Yeah. And they need to invent drones in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, it's, uh, I I think they have them because I think they can just they can just put the the shuttles on autopilot and just send them out. Yeah, that's right. And they just didn't think of it. <laughs> but it, do you know? Do you do you have any idea why they would send data to, on this mission? Because it it sounds like it sounds like it's dangerous. Is it because he's not human? That's a good question. He should just be. Uh, doing science research or something all the time. He's so smart. Yeah. But, uh, it, he's sort of wasted in general. Yeah. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think they sort of play it off as though it's his choice. Like, you know, he wants to pursue, pursue he like wants a human. To be in Starfleet. Yeah, he wants he wants, he wants like human. a human job or whatever and and then they all right, you want to be in Starfleet? We're going to treat you like you're in Starfleet to go <laughs> go go die for this on this chore, you know. <laughs> But couldn't he like be like the captain of the ship with his level of intellect? I mean, easily, he does become a captain later, for a few episodes at least. Yeah, he does. And then everybody's very uh, passive aggressive against him because well, he's only an android. Yeah, it's true. And mm-hmm. like it's like well, you gotta be, you gotta have emotions to be a captain. No, you don't. Yeah, you have to be unpredictable <laughs> and uh, <laughs> unreliable to be yeah. a captain. That's the. Uh, the, the Star Trek ethos, like you got to have a little cowboy in you, you know. So, 
data is in the cargo bay of the Jovis, which is uh, Kivas Fajo's mm -hmm. ship. And they, they're about to send him off with the uh, Hytridium. And we meet Varia, who is uh, Kivas Fajo's wife? <laughs> Secretary? Uh, lover, slave, girlfriend, we can't tell. We meet Faria, and um, she has just the worst, like, alien makeup. It's not, like, badly done, but it's just so, like, it's so lazy. It's just like, here's, let's just smush some of this on your face. Now you're an alien. Mm. I was confused if she's uh, scarred or if that's just what she looks like. Yeah, they seem or to because of some torture that he did to her to punish her or something they seemed to intimate that later mm. because she touches her face yeah that as was if to remember something that he did to her that was very vague and i don't even know if we know if she's a zabalian <laughs> maybe she's just a human i mean it's just sort of like she's that's the sort of the generic alien look in star trek like yeah. they got some, it's a human but they got some stuff on her face like mm -hmm. so that's varia yeah. Varya sabotages Data, uh, they and and they steal him, mm -hmm. and uh, then they send the ship off, and and everybody thinks Data's on it, and then it blows up, and they think he's dead, and they're sort of sad. <laughs> they're not like <laughs> they're not that upset. They're like, shit, what just what? Like what? Where Gosh, darn it. Was that was Data? a nice ship. Uh oh, wait, 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 what's this here? What's this? It's a Captain's Log Supplemental. Captain's Log Supplemental. As the result of a yet unexplained shuttle explosion, Lieutenant Commander Data has been lost. Uh, I know, I mean, I know this is like, this isn't even that early an episode. I feel like if, if Data died in like season five, they would have brought like bagpipers in and like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah. flown back to like Federation HQ and done like a full memorial service and like for sure they would have had like eight very stirring speeches but since like it's season three they're just like huh you know it happens oh. sometimes that people mm -hmm. die after the shuttle explodes we have a um, our, fir our first meeting with uh, Kivas Fajo he's he's sort of uh Hails the bridge with a poker face, like what? What happened, guys? What do you, like? What? Ha what'd you do? Uh, and everybody's kind of like, I don't know what happened. They demanded to see sort of the the um, the records um, from the Jovis, and I I counted between the time he had them send the records to the time when Worf says, Captain, the transfer of information is complete. It was almost a full minute. I think, couldn't that, wouldn't that have ha happened like immediately even like by today's information yeah. transfer standards like how much know, maybe they had bluetooth and they had trouble uh you know getting it to work it happens yeah i mean maybe they were like really far away i'll give them a pass on this one it's a nitpick it's, maybe it was windows 10 yeah who knows and there's a there's a whole subplot or not really subplot but there are some encounters between Worf and the counselor where he has to uh, really make sure that they feel like he's sad. That once again, by the way, he's replacing a member of the crew who died. Yeah. Because he also replaced Tuck Chayar. Yeah. He's yeah. starting to suspect Worf. Yeah, and there's there's a there's a, a very it's a little uh, bit too convenient. And then not... he says, "Well, on Klingon ships." 
people replace fallen crewmates all the time. Like, yeah. Really, what's the big deal? Yeah, because like only Klingons die. <laughs> that's, that's the implication. Like we're just gonna get so many fights that we we just we have to replace each other all the time. Mm. Or, or many many honor related battleth deaths. <laughs> but there is a, there's a funny scene too, and because um, <laughs> we have this whole scene with between him and Deanna Troy uh, about how it's weird that he's taking over data, and then he sits down, and then da- and Picard's like, "Come on, the data." But oh oh, sorry so, sorry, Wolf. Uh, it's like and it's like super awkward, but that's the whole that's like the full extent of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh well, moving on. <laughs> I still don't care that much about data's passing. It would be funny if he just kept doing that. What do you think, Mr. Data? Oh, excuse <laughs> well, me again, Mr. Wolf. Uh, old, old habits die hard, Mr. Wolf. You <laughs> yeah. Who would be next if, if Worf has to kill somebody else to get higher You know, I in the ranking? Who I mean, does he have to take out next? Somebody's going to fall on a batlet. Yeah, I don't know what or the... Or have, have an accident in the holodeck. Do you know what so the hierarchy is in terms of... you got? captain then first officer then what's what's next yeah there's an episode conundrum where they go through it and it doesn't make any sense like the counselor is a super high in the hierarchy and the doctor for some reason yeah i never understood like that above data or something it's, it doesn't make any sense is it is it like there it's just a call sheet it's just the call sheet of the of the show right like the like, like the the bigger the name the better the position mm-hmm. I don't, I don't I don't know if I buy that because Michael Dorn is huge. He did those shampoo commercials? Oh, oh there you go. Which, Does he do it in full Worf makeup? Well, we can only hear his voice, but I think yes. Uh, I think he recorded <laughs> it in, in Worf makeup, and he does have because beautiful Worf has hair. He does, he has beautiful he lustrous hair. It's very shiny. After the scene on the bridge, we cut to Fajr's den, and we sort of. That's when we first learn of uh, data circumstances, and Fajr comes in and does this ridiculous dance, <laughs> like snapping and 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 sort of prancing. I don't know and, why he why he talks to data like data doesn't understand uh, English. Or, yeah, like, took great trouble trouble <laughs> to get you here. <laughs> yes. He was like. Actually, hold, uh, hold on. I have it. I have it queued up here. I'll, I'll play it. I'll play it for the podcast. Why not? Why have I been brought here? <laughs> the, the voice simulation. It's it's perfection. The inflections. The timing. <laughs> yes. Uh, it took great effort, effort to bring you here. I was sure it'd be worth it. I was right. I've been delivered here against my wishes. I would like to know the reason. Uh, certainly. You have been brought here for my enjoyment. The whole point of kidnapping him is that he's like a super intelligent yeah. android. And he's like, he must not be smart enough to understand. And then he drops that and just talks normal after that. Sometimes. Yeah. He's like, that was dumb. <laughs> he just did a dumb thing and he, he corrected. He's, he, they kind of set him up as a sort of sprightly flamboyant mm-hmm. kind of elfish rogue but also a little bit of a offensive jewish stereotype for this kind of well-known jewish character actor to be playing this greedy scheming kind of selfish guy 
He even wears a kind of space yarmulke on his head. Yeah, and the other, his other alien friend is is actually like a well-known, um, like Israeli actor. Oh, really? <laughs> so he's just like two super greedy space Jews, kind of scheming and chiseling and 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 sneaking around doing crafty, sneaky things. So in the next scene, uh, Wesley and Jordy are kind of rifling through. Uh, Data's personal effects and his quarters, and you see a bunch of like sort of standard Data things, like his his violin and and some of his paintings. And um, Wesley finds all of uh, Data's Starfleet medals. Like and he's like, these are all Starfleet's <laughs> highest honors. And then LaForge's like, not bad for a walking pile of circuitry and memory cells. And I was like, what? <laughs> like it's almost like a a racial slur he just said against him. Like whoever whoever called him that. <laughs> just Jordy, I Only think. Jordy is a very strange uh, character, I think. He's always a, the way he talks is very aggressively and very uh, I don't know. He's a weird guy. I think I think there's a lot of LeVar Burton in the in Jordy. I, I think I think that's basically his personality. Uh, I've never seen him in anything else, to be honest. Well, I've never seen Reading Rainbow. You should probably check out some a few episodes of Reading Rainbow. I mean he's really good for adults too. The next scene, Varya brings a, a funny little outfit for, for Data to wear. Just like a nice purple velour tracksuit, which is for some reason better than the Starfleet uniform. Yeah. And Data refuses to put it on and sort of rants about personal freedom. And this is where we learn the clever ploy that Kivas Fajo concocted to sort of obscure the kidnapping attempt because Data observes to Varya that the, the Enterprise will scan the debris and discover that Data was not aboard. Now, I don't think they did that. <laughs> did they? No, I'm, I'm actually not sure. No. I, I don't <laughs> think they did. I don't think they thought of it. Um, maybe they did yeah. off, off camera. I think they don't really care that much. That's sort of the implication. That's the impression you get anyway. Dude. It's just sort of like, oh, well, well, we've got this other mission to go to. Uh, yeah, like, like the, let's not waste any time. These, these 30 colonists. So apparently uh, Kivas Fajo uh, planted elements on the, on the shuttle to exactly match Data's components so that they would assume Data was destroyed. Again, they, it doesn't seem like they did that, which may, maybe would have been a good idea. Um, yeah. Well, they saw him explode. I think that's uh, yeah. That was Picard enough. was like, well, good enough for me. If it were me, I I would have thought, well, maybe Data survived the explosion and he's just floating in space. I don't. They didn't even really kind of bother <laughs> checking that yeah. out, like because like you could think that they would be able to find like his his core processor or something and bring him back to life. They they yeah. didn't. They made no attempt. Exactly. Maybe he has a backup somewhere. If I was uh, if I was an android like that, it would just. Uh, Every day, a backup to uh, to the cloud or something, just but, to dump my memory to a Dropbox. It seems short-sighted that Data's entire consciousness is limited to this one uh, sort of flimsy android. Well, that's part of being human. He wants to be human, so part of that right. is exploding. He wants to be mortal and sort of bound mm -hmm. to a specific form, and it, it had nothing to do with the writers not not anticipating that maybe his digital consciousness didn't have to be confined to that one uh, form. Uh, no, no, they thought about it, and that's, uh, that's just what Data would, would want. So. Okay, I think you're giving them a lot of, a lot of leeway there. So, so they the, the, know what they're doing. 
So the point of the scene is that uh, Data sort of establishes Varya as a as kind of a fellow prisoner, even though she doesn't act like mm-hmm. it initially. She's got a lot of chutzpah and bravado. And, and then we cut to the ready room, and Jordy is reporting on a completion of the uh, analysis of the, the data that Fajo provided and expresses some skepticism about how it was that this could have happened because it seems like the only possible outcome was, was pilot error, which he doesn't find to be all that likely. And Picard's reaction to this is to sort of give Geordi this sort of boilerplate talk about just death and acceptance of loss in general, yeah. which seems really condescending, doesn't it? Yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, like he's, please, please, be, please be rested, Jordy. Come on. Like, I've already moved on get with some, my life, Get some Jordy. sleep, you'll feel better. Please, please stop bringing up, bringing up these negative feelings for me. <laughs> he's gone, and let's just face that. Do you think maybe Picard was in on it? Maybe he got uh, a, a little bit of a bribe. Interesting. Maybe he traded uh, some... He traded data for some very rare teacups or some well, he is into, very expensive um, teapot or something. He is into archaeological antiquities, and uh, mm-hmm. presumably Bajo has a, a great deal of those, so he could be involved, I, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, suspicious. He, maybe he suddenly has some antique uh, Bajoran teapot or something, and uh, that's, uh, that's quite possible. I, there are I, a lot of suspects in this episode. Um, actually, I had some other thoughts about, uh, about Worf. Like... Maybe it's just a, a Klingon custom to replace crew members, right? Right. When they die. Yes. It would be funny if, you know, that Michael Dorn proposed to do the, the Worf Chronicles. It would be funny if it was one of those shows. Like, they used to have a lot of those shows in the 90s about, like, imposters who do a different job every episode or something. Yeah. It would be funny if, like, for example, Dr. Crusher died and then he, he was Dr. <laughs> Worf for an episode and so on. He just, every episode, he's a different uh, crew member. He's, and he's like, pretty funny. He's, so, he's, so he takes over for Dr. Crusher. But of course, he doesn't know or how to be a doctor. So, like, <laughs> he has to do like emergency surgery. And he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll use this Klingon on Batleth to." Uh, <laughs> that's like, well, Worf. No, we can. Yeah. We've got this this surgery robot. That's that seems like a not very honorable way to to go about it. And <laughs> just plunges the Batleth into Wesley to remove his tonsils. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But Wesley has like a little bit of a fever. He's like, "Oh, I think we should move directly to the autopsy." <laughs> yeah well but that's his culture you have to respect it yes he's always mentioning things like the klingons that everybody else does too like klingons are very proud people so is every other species <laughs> <laughs> shut up uh, that's right sorry humans so also this is where Riker recommends Worf be promoted to ops and then the next scene, so Data has refused to put on the little outfit that was provided to him. So this is where Faju comes in with, um, replicates a, uh, a bottle of, of chemicals, which is a... Phenoplaque or something. Yeah, 100 denkers of phenoplaque yeah. and splashes it on Data. There's some, some pretty good uh, special effects, like a strange gray blob superimposed on, on Data's uniform. It's, it's strange. It just stops immediately, right? Yeah, it seems it's like they just um, put some some uh, rubber cement on his uh, outfit and uh, lit it on fire for a couple of seconds. Uh, that sounds you pretty. You can still see the smoke, but it's not actually burning in, into it. So. That sounds like a really dangerous way to do that effect. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, Brent Spiner is a really. He's like a, he does all of his own stunts. He doesn't mind a little uh, third degree burns <laughs> in pursuit of his uh, his craft. 
So he, he melts Data's uniform. They talk about Data's modesty and how Kiva's Fajo would prefer to watch Data strut around nude, kind of lasciviously implying some, some strange sort of sexual undertones. I was actually reading about the original draft of this episode. A scene that got removed was that Fajo told Varya to have sex with Data, mm-hmm. and she was sort of humiliated and horrified by, by the idea, and that's when she decided to, to betray oh, Fajo. Okay. And I, <laughs> I feel like this is sort of in that same vein, where there's sort of this perverted undertone to it, where with it, they didn't touch on much at all in this in, in the final cut of this episode. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think that would have actually been a lot it would have stronger. Been pretty interesting. It's particularly a missed opportunity for the data sort of erotic fiction community to not get some uh, fan service in this area for some, some kind of Fifty Shades of Grey style um, data erotic kinky fiction. You I think know, the, I, the episode should end with, um, because Data lost his uh, uniform, it should end with him in uh, Picard's, office, uh, Picard's ready room and Picard saying, of course, Data, this new uniform will come out of your paycheck this month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because how much do you think uh, Starfleet officers get paid? Oh, nothing, apparently. Yeah, but, they, uh, they, they claim that money has been abolished and then they frequently talk about uh, money. Sometimes... Sometimes they have money and sometimes they don't. It just depends on the needs of the episode. Yeah, that's something, but, they kind of wink the, at the writers it. just forget sometimes. Well, I think it's one of those sort of ideological positions of the yeah. the Federation and, and Starfleet. But in practical terms, they still do have an actual need for it. How do they pay for, if they want to use the, uh, the holodeck, for example, do they need to pay for that? Or? It is, you know, it's yeah. surprising that the holodeck... They, they have always always have access to the holodeck like wouldn't there be like a line for it all the time yeah like <laughs> i would be in there all day <laughs> yeah. I, the holodeck is a really convenient plot device but i i don't think that they very accurately capture the the full implications i mean basically you would probably have people just living entirely within holodecks and and have a kind of a matrix type scenario but they seem pretty blase about it like they occasionally go on like a fox hunt or something stupid. They occasionally go on a really lame simulation. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, they put on these like hill or something. They put on these like just the lamest thing you can think of. Like dinner theater plays <laughs> in it with like bad props. The same as uh, other science fiction that uh, they don't really have entertainment in science fiction worlds. It's usually like the kind of entertainment you would imagine from the like the the, the Middle Ages, like lots of song and dance and like revels and like. You know, drinking and 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 singing, and it's it's never like modern entertainment where you'll just stare at a screen for six hours, which is admittedly maybe a little bit boring <laughs> to, to watch. So the next scene is um, so Jordy's really worked up about this, obviously, because you know it was, they, they they did barely anything to try to get to the bottom of of what actually happened to Data. Yeah. Only Jordy see. is upset. Yeah, he's the only one. So Jordy's uh, tossing and turning in bed in his. Starfleet uniform, <laughs> pajamas. Yeah, why does he sleep with his clothes on? <laughs> you know, I, I think that they maybe just they made the pajam- their Starfleet pajamas look just like the uniforms. Why not? You know, yeah, just more comfortable. Yeah, like it just make a like a soft, like a soft velvety version of the same uniform. And ma- maybe the implication is that Starfleet uniforms are just so comfortable that they just never have to take them off. You know, 
It's like, why, why should they be uncomfortable? They look so good. The following scene, Deanna Troy talks to Worf about the promotion and, and replacing his dead crewmate, Data. Data. Mm-hmm. I think there's a scene. There's one scene, and I think it's the second season when Dr. Pulaski first meets Data. I think she calls him Data. And he, Data. <laughs> he corrects her. <laughs> it just sets her up as this, this, this really unlikable character from the start. Yeah. But, um, but we can we can save Pulaski. Yeah, yeah, bashing. there's plenty to say about that. <laughs> but, uh, let's keep it's it a, for later. That's a whole three or four other dozen mm-hmm. dozen other podcasts. So yeah, Worf says uh, promotion due to death. The promotion due to the death of a crewmate is commonplace at Klingon ships. Um, <laughs> just like okay, you guys should not die as much. Uh, you, the other thing about Klingons is like they're they're an, adv- an advanced enough civilization to make uh, warp drives, but they can't get over their like war stuff. I mean, isn't that sort of one of the one of the one of the implications of like joining Starfleet is that you sort of move past these like petty tribal conflicts? Yeah, it, it's also one of those things that is a bit inconsistent, like the Prime Directive. Right. And I don't. I don't really have the feeling that all those civilizations and planets they visit really are capable of inventing warp drives. No. They usually seem like just people selling stuff in a little market. Right. Like selling pots and, uh, and cloth and stuff. After the scene with uh, Deanna Troy and uh, Worf, we have uh, Wesley and Jordy are doing some detective work. They're the only ones that care, again, about uh, Data's death. Uh, and yeah. Wesley, Wesley doesn't really care. He just thinks it's fun to... Uh, yeah, Wesley's just sort solve. of there. He's just sort of he just likes hanging out with yeah. Jordy. Jordy, uh, Jordy's been sort of obsessing over these recordings and, and realizes that there's an inconsistency in some of the audio that Data was reporting. He did several trips with the same shuttle and made the same report every time but left something out on the final report, which led Jordy to believe that Data just wasn't on the ship, which he was, of course, correct mm-hmm. about. So they get to the bottom of it, whether or not they're going to be able to convince Picard of, of this is, uh, is still suspect. Then the next scene is we, we're back in, in, in Fajo's den and we meet Fajo's flamboyant um, fellow collector, Paler Toff. Ah, yes. A very strange alien with uh, stuff on his face, like uh, something is going into his nose or something. Yeah, he's got like a, like a golden spiral sort of twisting around his head yeah. and kind of going into one of his like six nostrils apparently the the prop they used the decoration on his head was reused in a later episode as a decoration in Aquiel Unhari's quarters Aquiel is a like a a love interest of Jordi in one episode that sounds like a Think? I think the episode's uh, called Aquiel. It's called Aquiel. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a, a a steamy one that I'm really looking forward to checking out. It's the sixth season, so it's going to take a while. Paler Toff's robes also made another appearance. Uh, it was reused in the episode Cupid. Uh, it was worn by oh, a really? member of the Federation Archaeology Council. Mm. There you go. 
keep an eye on. No, I don't remember. <laughs> I just uh, watched that one. <laughs> just, just try to remember next time you watch that episode. <laughs> try to keep an eye out for Palartov's Road. So Palartov mm-hmm. was played by Nehemia mm-hmm. Persoff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that. Yes. I think it must be Hebrew. Perhaps. Oh, and he's in the Bill Cosby show as Mr. Byron. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yeah. Maybe we should do a, a Cosby... Uh, a Cosby podcast. That'd be good. <laughs> Timely. <laughs> it would be good, actually. Too soon. Would be, you could go through every episode and sort of look for clues <laughs> of potential, like, just, oh, just, just general rapiness. Was Cosby ever in an episode of Star Trek? I don't think so. On a similar note, uh, Uncle Bill from The Fresh Prince is in the Star Trek. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Which, he's, uh, he's a Klingon. James Avery, yeah. Uncle Phil, he's in, um, let me see. Rest in peace, by the way. Mm. Very sad. Uh, he's in, uh, he's General Kavach. It's a good he's role in several for him. episodes. He was also Shredder in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the cartoon. The voice. Yeah. Obviously. He you could probably pull off the physical Shredder. Yeah. Well, maybe he, he also drew the animation. <laughs> so Palartov comes in, and Baja really wants to show off his new acquisition. And Data basically goes rigid and 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 behaves like a mannequin. And uh, Palartov is really unimpressed. He's like, "Oh, so you got a mannequin, huh?" Which is, you know, it's it's weird though because I don't know how valuable Data really is if nobody knows what he is and. Presumably, Fajo sort of knew about data by reputation, but this other guy doesn't. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, so he's why not doesn't. that famous. I guess not. Or maybe Palatov is just kind of an idiot. It's also like, if people really know data, if he's really famous, then word will get out very soon. Right. He won't be able to keep it secret. No, it's a really it's a terrible it's a bad plan. plan. Like, he, he wants to have data in his collection, he wants to show him off to his his collector friends, but also the Federation will like literally just kill him to get data back if they find <laughs> out and yeah. data kind of topples forward stiff as a board and, and tops of, he falls well, yeah. which is like <laughs> a pretty funny burn. Yeah. He does fall well. There are a bunch of very funny stunts that data tries to attack. The guy, Fajo, and then he just uh, bounces <laughs> off him because he has some shit. It's very funny the way he falls. I remember that because it's in one of your edits, and it happens yeah. like uh, a dozen times, I think. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> By the way, keeps... speaking of edits, you should yes. watch... Um, I figured out which one uses the most of the footage from this episode. It's uh, Edit 37, Data's Achievements. Starfleet is so impressed by Data's paintings that they decide to send him to a Starfleet uh, Space um, Art Academy or something, mm-hmm. uh, Art Research Center. And it's just, a, it's like Fajo's place, but it's, Fajo is just like an art collector and uh, Data is like a visiting artist and um, Data defaces a, a painting of uh, Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. He turns it into Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Fajo comes in and he says, oh, marvelous, the details. And you see the <laughs> painting of Neelix and then... Uh... Uh, yeah, I have it queued up. I'll, I'll play it now. Uh, what? Uh, it's very, very ancient, hundreds of years old. Uh, it's pre- 
priceless. I believe you could say I have been inspired. Wondrous. Data, you will be catered to. As you never have been before. My Starfleet duties would not allow it. Your every wish would be fulfilled. I wish to get a card. That was really funny. Good Thanks. stuff. So we're back to the bridge, and the the Enterprise crew arrive at Beta Agni and launch a probe. We have a, an away team goes down to the planet to check out some kind of irregularity that, that Worf picks up. It's a good thing they promoted Worf, you know, otherwise maybe they wouldn't have caught this. So they send an away team down to check things out. I don't, you know, I don't really know why. Do you know what, what, how it is that they decide on who goes on these away missions? I think in the contract, the actors all have to um, have a specific amount of screen time every episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably really literally because of that to just calculate how many scenes is uh, you know is uh, Troy in or Crusher and uh, like anytime Crusher is sitting on the bridge even though she has no business being there as, as a doctor right that's just because it's her contractual like uh, obligation to uh, spend that much time in an episode yeah. right and they don't have any doctor scenes so she just has to be on the bridge it seems a little bit arbitrary like why why does the ops position go on an away mission suddenly. Like, I could see maybe the security officer going down just for some muscle. Well, you know. <laughs> and even then, it's like, do you send the head of security down on this away mission, or do you send, like, one of the other sort of lower-ranking dudes? So they all go down. They they uh, they check out the, the scene. They figure out that this uh, very rare, hard-to-find substance is causing the contamination. And coincidentally, the only the only substance that could counter it would be the uh, hydridium, which is what they had to get from Kivas Fajo. So they sort of mm-hmm. they actually do end up putting the pieces together, and 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 deciding that maybe there's some validity to uh, to Jordy's claims. There's another scene oh. where Fajo Fajo confronts Data about his uh, performance with uh, mm-hmm. with Poth and this is where we learn that Fajo has some really dangerous uh Veron T disruptors which oh, yeah. are sort of like uh they're sort of like phasers but they're like a more painful death for some reason it takes about one second longer yeah they they seem to suggest that it's like a long agonizing death but of course we see one used later on and it's it's not that much longer than uh no <laughs> other phaser explosions we've seen there are worse ways to die. So the next scene, Fajo convinces Data to finally sit down in this chair that he's wanted him to sit in, and he does so by threatening Varia's life with the Varenti disruptor. Data sits in the chair. There's it's fun, it's actually kind of a funny scene because like he points the gun at he's like standing in one place, and he points the and uh, Fajo points the gun at Varia, and then it, like they cut and he's sitting in the chair, which is like across the room. He does like like a Batman like stealth like sprint to the chair <laughs> he's suddenly sitting there it would be funny if he just uh if if data was really flattered by by all of it like he just immediately sat down in the chair and in the beginning of the episode instead of resisting he just it's said, true oh, really i think people will, will will be interested in me and all right uh the next scene i think we so they they figure out the 
the plot jet back to uh, Fajo's ship once they figure stuff out. And Data kind of plans his escape. Actually, Varya comes in, and, and basically she's she's fed up. You know, she's had enough of this dude. Uh, it's still not clear what their relationship is, but um, I think he says in the prior scene that he, like, got her when she was 12 or something like that. And, and they appear to be the same age, so I'm not sure. <laughs> That's <laughs> very strange. <laughs> what that means. So she wants to escape, so she helps Data get the uh, the Varanty disruptors, and they head to the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And all of this is, like, meaningless, because Data's escape attempt sort of exactly corresponded with uh, with the Enterprise figuring all this stuff out and then coming back to save him. Yeah, um, just should have just stayed put for five more minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the, the, the consequence of the escape attempt, of course, was was that Varya was killed. So Beta and Varya, you know, take off and run to the shuttle, and, and Fajo has these two sort of nameless goons that, that they kind of chase them around a little bit and aren't, aren't very effective. And then Fajo decides to kill Varya, and then Data's about to shoot Fajo with the disruptor because he reckons that this, uh, his, his, uh, he's going to keep keep doing evil stuff and mm-hmm. but as soon as he starts to shoot him he gets uh data gets transported back onto the uh the enterprise mm-hmm. and um the great uh Kalmini, miles o'brien I, I think it's funny that they had to get another like gaelic transporter guy like they had to stick with that yeah. scene <laughs> yes. like That's he's not tradition. he's not scottish he's this one's irish it's well, just, yeah. you know close enough yeah a lot of people get proud, those proud tradition of uh transporter technician. He has a brogue. It's import- a brogue is a prerequisite of being a transporter technician. Mm-hmm. So O'Brien detects a weapon discharge and just somehow disables it. He, I guess he can do like whatever he wants to transport sure. signals. I don't know how that works. You know, it's kind of an interesting question that gets, gets, that gets raised about data. He lies. Uh, yeah, he lies. Bragger, yeah. They're like, what happened with that weapon discharge? And they're like, it must have been something to do with the transport. <laughs> So, yeah, so Data is a straight-up murderer. Actually. Murderer and a liar. They get Data back. They put Fajo in the brig, br- the brig. Mm-hmm. And final scene where Data comes to kind of gloat. <laughs> he claims that he's not gloating, but he clearly is. He comes comes and just kind of checks out Fajo in his cage. And Fajo's like, oh, it comes to... Come to now you're the captor, and I, I'm the captive. You come to gloat, huh? And Data's like... I, I cannot take pleasure in this because I am merely an android, and that's the end of the episode. And the, the and by the way, the whole that whole escape attempt was unnecessary because they presumably would have just transported him directly off of out of the you know the collection room, and Varya didn't have to die. But I guess to be fair, that was her idea, so it's on that's, yeah. that's on her. Actually, it, it says something about Data and how he feels about his uh, his colleagues. He doesn't really trust them to to save him. Yeah, he yeah, just this thinks is, uh, they're they're uh, incompetent. They want to find it. They want to find the clues. Yeah, it's sort of like when a uh, football team decides to go go for it on the fourth down instead of uh, instead of leaving it up to the defense. You know, mm-hmm. does that mm-hmm. does that metaphor work for you? Does that click? No, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not a sports guy. Well, sorry. Well, I, even if you were, you would probably be into like uh, like soccer. Footy. Yeah, footy. Soccer. So we've made it. We made it through. 
So what would you rate this episode out of five something? How'd you like it? I really like this episode. I think it's, uh, even though a lot of the stuff in the plot doesn't make any sense, I think it's still a good one. So I rate this uh, four out of five Veronti Disruptors. Very generous. I rate this episode three out of five Bassetiles. What are Bassetiles? Well, there's a scene that we didn't talk about where he's showing off his, his collection. And he's like, look at this. It's the first Bassetile. <laughs> that's, that's it. We don't, we don't get an explanation. It's, and it, it's just like this weird prop. It's like an assemblage of, uh, of metal pieces. So if this bit were working properly, I would have had the foresight to actually discuss the Bassetile <laughs> earlier in the episode. And then this would be a callback. <laughs> that's, that's what I didn't think of it. No, I'm manufacturing a callback at the end of the episode. And finally, I, I think we should give this uh, this episode a new name. Yeah. I think due to the sort of rampant Jewish stereotyping happening in this episode, uh, we should call this one The Most Goys. <laughs> Hashtag The Most Goys. Uh, I think that's a, that's a very good one. All right. Well, uh, yes. this has been a, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you taking Agreed. the time to talk about the most toys with me. I'm, I'm looking forward to starting from the beginning with Encounter at Farpoint in some of the me future too. episodes. I was, I was actually dreading watching the first season, but now that I've seen uh, Encounter at Farpoint, it's actually pretty good. And uh, I have a lot of notes. So That's good. Look forward to that one. I will be drilling into your brain and pulling out all of the uh, Star Trek meaty goodness Good. and hopefully putting it on, an, on a plate for, for others. Good. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from us, please let us know in the comments. Or if you feel that we missed anything in this episode or got anything wrong, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.